So I was excited about uh, last week and not being here. I was um, with Dave and his small group watching our kids hand out Otter Pops, and uh, it, was, it was awesome. <clears throat> a couple of our kids didn't quite get it the first time or two, so when someone came to grab the Otter Pop, they just held tight. You know? And uh, the one time it was awesome, this runner comes by and he goes to grab it and they kind of like both at the same time and Otter Pop just shot like four feet up. And so it was great. We had a great time um, just interacting with people and spending time as a community of faith in the midst of the city. Now uh, we are in the midst of a question series and uh, we thought there would be no more appropriate question to answer on Mother's Day than this. You can tell a bunch of guys came up with it. Why plant churches? So that's what we're covering today. Why plant churches? We've been in the midst of this question series, and uh, in just the way it lined up, we needed to communicate some of this information sooner rather than later. And uh, today is really going to be about me trying to answer three questions that kind of stem all around this question. Um, I want to approach it kind of from a theological perspective as well as a practical perspective. Uh, ways in which we feel like God has called us to be a community that plants churches and wants to continue to do that. So let's uh, jump in. If you have your Bible, turn to Psalm 67. The reason I have you turning there, we uh, this last week in small groups started talking about the ways we've been uh, reaching into the city, the, the time we've been spending together, the opportunity we've had to connect to people. And um, this particular psalm came up in my mind quite a bit uh, on Bloomsday as I'm watching hundreds of people run past. I'm, I'm watching some with agonizing faces, some with smiling faces, but people are just rushing past. And we talked a couple weeks back that the reality is there are more people that ran Bloomsday than attend a church on a given Sunday in Spokane, if you think about that statistics and the numbers. It's pretty staggering that all of Spokane area would be about 10 to 12 percent of people going to church based on the numbers and everything. We're at 55,000 people ran. It's just staggering to think of it in that terms. Well, we started interacting about it as a small group and Psalm 67 came up and um, I think it's one of the reasons why we plant churches. It starts off, it's a prayer, and it says, uh, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. And then the psalmist goes into this part where he says, may all the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the people justly and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, O Lord. May all the peoples praise you. And the point the psalmist is really getting at here is this. I want all of Israel to be a worshiping community of the one true living God. But not I don't want it to stop there. I don't want it to stop at this church being a church that comes and worships and is a worshiping community. More than that, I want to see all of the surrounding nations and all of our enemies, as the psalmist is getting after this idea, that it doesn't matter who is around. I want all of them at some point to bow the knee to the one true God, to submit their life to Him, and desire to follow Him with everything. And that is our passion too. So one reason I think why we are compelled to plant churches is because the worship of God propels us. 
There's a uh, pastor in the Midwest who wrote a book, and I remember as I was reading through it, I came to this little phrase that says, missions exist because worship doesn't. And it struck me the first time I read it, and I was like, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Why would we say that missions or reaching people exist because worship doesn't? Well, here's why. It all comes back to an understanding that what God wants and what God deserves is for everyone in all of creation to commit and bow the knee to Him and to worship Him. I mean, that's the reality. What we want is to see the worshiping community of faith, the kingdom of God, continue to grow and grow and grow. And the fact of the matter is that it's, it's about worship. And so as we begin to invest in the lives of people, one of the motivating factors for why we plant churches and why we have that heartbeat is because we want to see more people worship God. Here's a second factor. We're going to tackle a bunch today. Second one is uh, making disciples is our calling. One of the reasons why we plant churches, I'm convinced, is because making disciples is part of our calling. Now, when you committed, if you did, if you committed to give your life to Christ and begin to follow Him, in the Gospels, Jesus made it really clear that you're supposed to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Him. But then he doesn't stop there and just say, well, that's, that's it. He begins to walk us through what that looks like. And some of the things that he talks about is this idea of obedience or walking in holiness. But then he gets to this place where he says that it is your calling to go and make disciples. I want you to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, or yes, I am with you this whole way until the very ends of the ages. And the point he's making is, my presence is with you in your going. My presence is with you in your making disciples. My presence is with you in your baptizing and in your teaching to observe and follow the ways of Jesus. So making disciples is part of why we desire to plant churches. Now, I know that some of you are probably thinking to yourself, can't you plant or can't you make disciples without planting churches? I mean, does making a disciple demand that you have a church? I'm, I'm sure some of you are asking that question because I think it's one that comes up quite often. Let me give you what Tim Keller says on this. Virtually all the great evangelistic challenges of the New Testament are basically calls to plant churches, not simply to share the faith. The Great Commission is not just a call to make disciples, but to baptize. In Acts and elsewhere, it is clear that baptism means incorporation into a worshiping community with accountability and boundaries. The point he's making is this, that in our making disciples... Another aspect of that command is the desire to baptize or bring them into the community of faith. To begin to experience true Christian community. And it's significant. I think a case could also be made that the last part of that command where it talks about teaching them to observe everything that was commanded, that happens best in community as well. It is much easier for us to walk alongside one another, teach one another what it means to follow Jesus if we do it together. 
I mean, I, I try to build things occasionally, and it's very, very, very occasionally because I'm not good at it. But I'll tell you what, when I am with someone who knows how to build, and I can sit there and watch as they do it, and then they can like go, just screw that in right there. And I go, okay, and that's all I do. I, I, I start to learn more about what it looks like and how to do it. And that's part of what happens when you're in community. That's the significance of, of the body of Christ. So some of us, are, I'm sure, are still thinking, well, I, I understand we're designed or we need to get in community, but does that mean we have to be within the four walls? I mean, does it have to be in a church, incorporated kind of idea? Well, there's a couple, couple thoughts. One, Rob talked about it a couple weeks ago, when he talked about one of the greatest apologetics of the gospel is the gathered community. When they see a group of people that at many times do not have things in common, that are different in so many ways, and yet they see this one unified body. There's great significance to it. It's one of the best ways for us to proclaim that we truly follow. In fact, Jesus said, and I find this interesting, He said, this is how you know, this is how people will know that you are my disciples. If you what? Love one another. Not just love, but love one another. See, the reality is this. I am convinced that a majority of the instructions in the New Testament that we have been given cannot be accomplished without others. And if you start to look at the New Testament, you'll begin to see things like love one another, serve one another, encourage one another, exhort one another, spur on one another, give to one another, bear burdens for one another. You get the, I mean, we can keep going and going and going. All of those instructions are to the one another's, to us, to this community of faith. So for us to be a fragmented, never spend time together, never interact, never, never gather as the church, we're missing out on the very things that God has called us to. That we are to be about one another. We're to be a community of faith. I'm also convinced that a significant amount of the New Testament was written to the gathered church. It wasn't written to an individual, but to a gathered church. To the church at Ephesus, to the church in Colossae, to the church of Philippi. I, I am sending this message to a gathered group of people. So whether you're meeting in a house, whether you meet as a small group, whether it's a large church, a mega church, a missional church, it, it, you have to gather. You have to come together. And that's part of why we believe church planning is so important because making disciples isn't just about reaching, but it's about gathering and forming a community of faith. The third one, there's an overwhelming need for church planting. Sometimes I, I am under this assumption that many of us think, man, there seems to be a church on every corner. Why would we possibly need another church? Let me give you some of the statistics that might help with that. First, the U.S. has the fourth largest population of unreached people in the world after India, China, and Malaysia. Over 195 million or so non-churched people in America. 
we get in our minds sometimes that there's this idea that, that we have to be the going foreign mission, let's send people because we have all of our stuff together here in the United States. We got it locked and loaded, we're in good shape, let's send people around the world, let's go reach those people, the lost people. The reality is the lost people, the people who need Christ, are the people that are in the same checkout line with you. The people that sit across the soccer field from you. The people who are on your hockey team. The people who are in your store. The people that sit at the cafe with you. The pe- it doesn't matter where you're at. The reality is that you turn your head and there's someone in this city that needs Christ. And we tend to think of it as an out there thing. The reality is it's here. Here's another stat. In spite of the growing rise of megachurches, no county in America has a greater church population than it did 10 years ago. So it doesn't matter if we're just gathering more and more of them in bigger and bigger buildings. The reality is we're still losing. We're still seeing a greater and greater decline of people who are passionate about following Jesus. For every new church that opens, four close with roughly somewhere between 3,500 and 4,000 churches closing their doors forever in a given year. Now again, it's a staggering statistic, and we probably think to ourselves, as we often do, man, I feel bad for other cities and other states. It's just horrible. Just in this city alone, over the last like six months or so, we've been in interaction with at least four churches that have closed their doors. been talking quite a bit with one that just, uh, just shut down in February. They started in 1985. And they decided that this last February was the time when they needed to kind of call it quits as a gathered community. It's happening quite a bit. 85% of all churches in America have either plateaued or declining. The percentage that is growing, of that small percentage, 14% of those are just growing simply because they're um, shifting from one pew to a different pew in a different building. Another stat. If we were to start new churches of 1,000 people each, we would need almost 200,000 new churches in the United States to reach the approximate number of people who are not currently attending or connected to a body of Christ. Start putting those stats out there and you start going, man, we need... To do something. And the question is, what do we do? Well, we're convinced it's church planting. In fact, this next stat says that an American uh, denomination recently found that 80% of its converts to Christ came from churches that have been in existence for less than two years. There's an urgency, a movement, an excitement when a church begins, and that excitement propels people to reach others in new and unique ways. Here's a fourth reason. We believe it's what healthy churches do. Healthy churches reproduce. Just like any healthy organism, it has life cycles, and part of its existence, or bred into its DNA, is this idea of reproduction, of extending life on, of continuing to see growth happen. And that's what healthy churches do. Healthy churches are convinced that they need to be ones that continue to plant. In fact, 
It has been our calling from the inception of New Community to be about church planting. The reason I say that is simply this. New Community was a church plant. In fact, in 1991, Rob and Robbie Fairbanks sensed a calling from God to come to Spokane, pour their heart and soul into people, and begin to establish a church. A church committed to not just gathering, but a church committed to scattering. A church that said, we're going to reach, we're going to extend the kingdom of God, and we're going to continue to plant churches. So in 1991, this church began. Since then, God has continued to allow this church to plant. In fact, the first church plant took place in the fall of 2004. And since then, and I'm going to go into more details later and talk more details about additional church plants, but that was kind of the beginning, 91, God planted this church, and then in 2004, he began out of this church to plant additional churches. Another idea kind of tied into this healthy churches producing offspring is this idea that I think it, it's been a part of our calling, and in fact, Two of the guys we are going to be sending out, Ryan and David, have both sensed it as a part of their calling as well, on an individual level. They've been praying about, dreaming about, working on um, a church for a long time. And also hoping that one day, with the desire to come on staff here, to eventually be sent from this church out. And uh, that time is getting closer and closer to reality. So those are four kind of reasons why we plant churches. But you're probably, hopefully, if not, I'm going to answer it for you anyway, asking a second question. The second question you may be asking is, why would we bring David and his family on staff? Why would we bring Ryan and his family on staff? Get something going here where, and I can honestly say, I've never enjoyed working more with a group of men and women as a staff than I do now. And I've never enjoyed being a part of a community of faith as much as I do now. So why would we take that, a thing that personally I am loving more than I ever have before, and break that up? Why would we break up a good thing? Why would we begin to see that happen? What I want to do is give you four reasons why I think it's important that we do break up a good thing. The first one is this. I'll explain why it relates if you don't get it at first. The incarnation. One reason why we need to break up a good thing is the incarnation. And here's what I mean. When Jesus Christ came, he could have chose many other options. I sometimes think we get this idea that, um, oh, it was just natural. He had to come, right? He just had to come. If he didn't come, how else would we have done it? He could do anything he wants. He's God. He could have snapped his fingers. He could have breathed. He could have said something. I mean, when he breathed or when he said something, the whole universe came into existence. It's not like he needed to do anything more profound than that. And yet, what he did was very significant. He came. Jesus Christ came. And I think he came. And one, one of the, a couple of the things we can learn from that is that it was about proximity and it was about people. That when he came, it was about proximity and about people. In fact, closeness or proximity is a significant point. One of the things that stood out to me reading through the Gospels is that Jesus was called Emmanuel or God with us. 
So the very fact that he was present, that he was close, that his nearness was with us, is significant. Now, how does that relate to church planting? Well, I think proximity is also important as it relates to forming the body of Christ. I was uh, teasing a guy in the front row last service. His name's Josh. And uh, I met with Josh this last week, and we were planning when we would get together next. And I said, uh, well, next time we get together, let's meet up north, because we met here near the church. And he goes, oh, I don't cross the river. And he was obviously joking, but he's, he was saying, hey, I live on the South Hill. You want me to go north? Are you serious? That's just sacrilegious, almost. I'm not going to go north. You know, and he, he, we were kidding around and kind of laughing about it, but the reality is, what we often do as churches is we, instead of going, we ask people to come. We say, come. you got to come. It doesn't matter if you have to drive 20, 30 minutes to get here. We want you to commute. We want you to come. We want you to be at this location. We want it to be about your presence here. And the reality is, I think, it could be more important for our presence to be there. To establish a community of faith in a local context. Another reason it's important, I think, is because of people, of diversity, of culture. All of us are unique in various ways, and across the city, we are also unique or diverse. Now, there isn't as much racial diversity in Spokane as there is in other cities, but there is economic diversity, And there is a cultural diversity. The reality is the people who live in the Garland neighborhood that we rub shoulders with, my wife and I, throughout the week, are probably quite different than the people that live way up north or the people that live on the South Hill or Brown's Edition or Hilliard or West Central. You get the idea. We are so unique from culture to culture, from little section of the city to section of the city that it's important for us to recognize that going and engaging in a community and being in a neighborhood, rubbing shoulders with people, can be a significant part of the process of what Christ is all about. And so it's an opportunity for us to to do that. In fact, we believe that one church, no matter how big, cannot truly reach all of the neighborhoods, nor all of the cultures, nor all of the people in this city. And what we need is numerous churches that are all about the same goal of extending the kingdom of God. Number two, under why break up a good thing, it models kingdom to other churches. It models kingdom to other churches. Anytime you start talking about church planting, and anytime you're about to launch a church, it models for other churches, as well as for our church, what kingdom is all about. Because it causes or forces all of us to ask some really difficult questions. And one of those difficult questions is, do I care more about myself and what I'm used to, or do I care more about the kingdom of God? Because what we tend to want to do is to continue to build our little tribe, and yet recognizing that perhaps building our tribe this way actually furthers the kingdom of God more 
than all commuting in, driving past churches on the way to get to a location to worship together. So there's this desire on our parts to model the kingdom of God to other churches as well as to our church. A third reason. It reminds us of what the church is really all about. It reminds us of what the church is really all about. First, the church is not about a service, but about a mission. Church is not about a service, but about a mission. In fact, church is not where you go to building. It's not where you go to a building. It's not where you listen to a sermon. It's not where you worship at it. We, we tend to think of it institutionally, but it's not that. I remember um, several years back when we were living in Indiana, the church that we were a part of had gone through like a two-year building program, and they were going to build this just amazing church. And so over the like two or three, four months leading up to that first Sunday in the new church building, the church on every Sunday would talk about, man, you know, it's only going to be a couple months and the church will be here in a couple months. And so every Sunday, I, and all throughout the week, I would be talking to my kids, and they were, I think, seven, five, four, around that age um, at the time. And I kept, it didn't matter where we were or what we were doing, I kept telling them that, see, the church is not a building, the church is you. The church is the people of God. It's not some place you locate. It's, it's the people. And I kept reinforcing that to them all the time. So they would get back and they're like, Hey, Dad, you know that the uh, church is going to be you know, here in a month. And I go, Wow, I thought it was already here. They're like, No, really. And I go, Oh, you mean the building. The building will be here in a month, but the church showed up a really long time ago. Is that what you were saying? And they were like, Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, we are the church. We kept... Reinforcing it over and over and over. I remember it came time for the first Sunday that the new building would be opened. And uh, so Dad was coaching them one last time on the way to the building and said, remember, we're just going to a building. You are the church. So <clears throat> we get out. And um, at this, Shannon had already been there, so it was just me and the kids and we're making our way into the building, and another family parked really close next to us, and they got out, and they started walking in, and the mom turned to the whole family and said, oh my goodness, this church is so beautiful. Look at it. It's our first Sunday in the church. And my daughter, without even thinking, said, doesn't she know this is just the building? We're the church? <laughs> and then as I kind of quickly, you know, moved them a different direction, all the while going, We are getting it. This is making sense. I love it. Because the reality is, it's not about a service. It's about you, the church. You can't get away from it. You wake up on a Sunday, you're already at church. Because it's you. You are the church. And when we gather as the church, we are the fully functioning body of the church. And so it's important for us to recognize that it's not about a service. I think sometimes we feel like the service is the end goal. If I do the right things, if I say the right things, and if I come to church once a week, then I've got all my ducks in a row. It's not true. Because, see, it's not about observation. It's not coming and observing something. It's about being participants. 
We're not interested in people coming and sitting down and going, hey, I observed church this week. It was great. No. Participate. Be the church. Be engaged in it. Be about the calling that you've received. Live it out. That's what this is about. That's what church is. The fourth and final reason why we're breaking up a good thing is because it works. New churches best reach the unchurched period. Let me give you one more stat. The average new church gains most of its new members between 16 and 80% from the ranks of the unchurched community. Now that's quite different because churches that have been around 10, 15 or more years get about 80% of their new church attendees from transfer. New churches get 60 to 80% of the people into their church because they're reaching new people for the kingdom of God. We want to be a church that doesn't gather people from other buildings. We want to be a church that extends the kingdom, that reaches new people, that sees more people worship God. May all the peoples praise Him is the heartbeat and desire of new community. So, I've kind of answered, hopefully, why we plant churches. I also tried to answer, why would we break up a good thing? So the last thing I want to answer is this. What's the plan? You know, we've been talking for a while about new community planting churches. We've been talking about David and the fact that when he came on two years ago, he came on to do youth ministry, but also with the purpose of training, preparing, getting equipped, getting ready, dreaming about, and eventually planting a church. When Ryan came on to fill the roles that he's filling here at New Community, same thing. It was with this intention or this desire to go and plant the church. It's this calling that's been placed in both of them. And so we, we've been praying about, dreaming, thinking for quite a while about what is the course of action, what is the plan. And it's uh, our attempt today to communicate that plan and uh, to just give you a chance to hear it and then give you a chance to ask some questions about it here in a few moments. So here's the plan. Uh, the vision I talked about a long time ago, 1991 is when this church was planted. And from that point until 2004, in the fall of 2004, uh, we launched the first church out of this church. And that was Vintage Faith. It was launched into Brown's Edition. And uh, Steve Hart, who was on staff here at New Community, they broke up a good thing back then and sent out Steve Hart into Brown's Edition in the fall of 2004. Then, quickly following that, two other churches came. And that was Olive Branch in the Garland District. You'll see it up here on the map. And then the Vine Community, which meets out in Deer Park. Uh, Scott Cross is pastoring at Olive Branch, and then the Vine is uh, in Deer Park, and that's uh, by Jeremy Wanch. He's uh, heading up that ministry there. So all of those churches were planted directly from new communities. Since those churches went out, starting in 2004 up until now, 2010, two other churches have been planted. One by Vintage Faith in the West Central area. They meet in the... Uh, Girl Scout building. That began to happen about a year and a half ago, maybe a little bit more. And then 
Uh, right near the Y, you can kind of see that dot up on the map. Uh, Jeremy's church up in Deer Park planted into the north and uh, established a church. And I just mentioned that one probably like three or four months ago. And the fact that we were just rejoicing with them is uh, God really enabled them to see 12 people recently come to know Christ and, and um, they were baptized. And so God is really doing work there. But this is kind of the map. And again, our vision is not just to have a church, but our vision is to reach the city. We don't want to stop with a church or a couple of churches, or, but our goal is to continue to see this take place. And so in September of this year, we are going to be launching two more churches. We're going to launch one to the south in the Perry District, and we're going to launch one in the Mead area, um, both happening in September. Both are happening in September. The one on the South Hill will be planted by David. And David is specifically targeting the Perry District. So lots of things have already been in the works there. And uh, he's, been, uh, he's acquired a leadership team that he's been spending time with. They've uh, determined a church name. It is going to be called Emmaus. And uh, I was talking with one of the uh, elders earlier. And... Um, <laughs> This is several months back when David was kind of thinking through names, and Patrick Lorden suggested maybe we just call it the House of David. Um, <laughs> that was quickly denied, and uh, we went with Emmaus instead. So um, David's been working with the leadership team. He's been uh, beginning to put together all the things necessary to officially launch a church, and that'll take place in September. Ryan has been uh, working, doing the same thing. He's going to be planting in the Mead area, and the name of the church will be Branches. And both of them are planting in September. It is our goal in the first week of September to launch out those two churches. So now you're asking perhaps, well, how, what, what are the steps kind of leading up to that? The way we've done it in the past and the way we're going to continue to do it, at least at this juncture, is we, um, what we do is we ask them, to, we were determined, sorry, a, a kind of a date we're launching, which is September, and then we trace it back three months, and that's when their end date is at New Community. So, as of June 1, both Ryan and David will no longer work for New Community, but will begin to work for their prospective churches. Now, what will end up happening starting June 1 is we will continue to keep them on payroll through September in order to give them the time to finalize 5013C nonprofit status, to be incorporated, to begin to put together all the details, to figure out all the pieces that are, that are missing. I mean, if, if they were to launch today, we'd be sitting on blankets at Ryan's Church because there's no chairs. You get the idea. There's so many things, small and large, that need to happen that we as a church give them a three-month period of time where they begin to devote 100% of their time and attention to that church. So as of June 1, they will, they will uh, start working for the church to be instead of new community. Um, they will still be here. They'll still be attending. They'll still be a part of this. We'll still be in meetings together, but all of their direction and attention will be uh, toward the other church. So Here's another question, perhaps. What does this mean for you, or what does this mean for us, or what does this mean for New Community? 
Here's a couple things that we would like for you to do. First of all, we want you to pray for them. God has called both of them and their families to go and do a great work of church planting, and we want you to support them incredibly in prayer. We want you to ask them, what are some things we could pray about specifically? We want you to spend time as small groups praying about, God, we want to reach Perry District. We want to reach the Mead area. We, we want to see people come to know you. So begin to pray. Pray hard for what God is going to do um, in both of these churches. Also, you can consider joining them. One of the things that I think is important is for us all to recognize that we have been called to be on a mission for God. And that doesn't mean, again, coming to a building. That means being a part of making disciples, a part of reaching the world. And so for some of you, over these next couple months, as you begin to pray, maybe God's going to say, you, you need to go. You need to go and be a part of what God is doing in these sections of the city. And so you're probably thinking even, how do I know God is saying that to me? How will I know? What does that look like? And let me give you a couple maybe ideas of what that would look like. First, God would be impressing on you a specific passion for that section of the city or for reaching people in that community. Maybe you already live there. Maybe you um, rub shoulders with people every day that are in the Perry District. Maybe if that's the case and you have a passion to be reaching those people instead of driving past David's church on the way here or on the way up north, no, invest in that community. Reach people in that community. It could also look like you saying, you know what, I am so committed to engaging this section of the city and God has given me a heart for it that, that I'm interested in moving to where they are to be with them. So maybe someone in here is going to say, you know what, I am, I'm going to move up north or I'm going to move into the Perry District because it's about proximity and it's about people. And I want to engage in the community in that way. They already have their core team of leaders. They already have people that are committed to the cause in terms of um, like a leadership team. But perhaps you'd be one of those people that says, I, I want to be in mission in that part of the city and I'm going to do what it takes. Now, they would tell you, that, or we would tell you, uh, it's, about, it's about reaching people. It's not about where you're just interested in connecting or going to a service, but it's really about will you engage on mission. In fact, if you <clears throat> ask Kevin and I and Hannah, um, if you were to ask us, hey, you know, I've been thinking about going, I, I've been praying about that, I, I'm wondering if that's what God wants, we would tell you, do what God's telling you. And if he's telling you you need to go to be a part of it, then go. Pray about going. Pray about going. And if you were to talk to David and Ryan, I think what they would say to you is this. That if you go to them and say, you know, I don't know if I should go or if I should stay or what should I do, they would say, listen, you should probably pray about staying. Unless you're feeling called to that particular section of the city, unless you're feeling like, God is moving you, then you probably need to consider staying. But the reality is they don't want someone coming and filling a chair because now we can say we have more people in the chairs. We're not interested in shifting people around. We're interested in extending the kingdom. And if you want to be about that, by all means, let's do it. All right? Let's go.
The other obvious way is you can support them financially. Uh, you could help us as a church to, to launch them um, financially, and that, we can go into details on that later. But what I want to do is just open up the rest of the time. Kevin has a mic in the back. If you have a question, we'll just take a few moments, maybe 10 minutes, and just any question, fire it my direction, and we'll do our best to try to answer it. Any questions about the plants, timelines, you name it. I guarantee I didn't explain it that well. Yeah. Yeah, well, first, let me, let me do this. Those of you who don't know David, David, why don't you stand up? David uh, is right over here. He's done youth ministry. It'll be actually June 1, when he officially ends, will be his two-year time at New Community. David's going with his wife and family, and then obviously they, they have key leaders. I don't know all of the names of every one of those leaders. He'd be a great one to chat with, and he'd be more than happy. Ryan in the back, those of you that don't know Ryan, this is Ryan. He and his family are going north to the Mead area. Again, he, he's got a leadership team who would be excited about telling you about who, who they are as well. I know that's not super specific, but um, yeah. The other question that um, I know was asked last time is, okay, they're do, done June 1. Will we never see them again? No, that's not what's going to happen. They're done June 1, but they will still continue to worship with us, be with us through that kind of transition time. And then um, also, they are, while all of their responsibilities are done, while they won't be doing some of the work here, uh, they'll be focused on their church. They're still going to each teach about two or three times throughout the summer so that we as a community stay connected and um, continue to be connected to them. Also, the last time that they share each, it's kind of going to be kind of a last charge to new community and also their passion for what God is doing for the future. And then on August 29th, I believe the date is, last Sunday in August, we're going to have a, a bit of a commissioning service for them where we just lay hands on them, send them out, and uh, just be excited about what, God, what God's doing. So other questions? Yeah. That's a great question. In what ways are they going to engage the communities? Let me try to answer that in a couple ways. Um, first of all, God... As I've been explaining everything this morning, hopefully you caught a clear picture that it's been our desire to follow God. We're not like trying to go out ahead of Him. By no means is that ever a good idea. But He has been moving in some pretty incredible ways. Um, it appears at this point that both of their locations um, will most likely be rent-free for the first two years. When you start to think about how God has been moving and preparing in both of those areas for us to have facilities rent-free, to have an opportunity to invest in the community in that way, that's phenomenal. And as far as engaging, I know that David's passion in the Perry District is to see that church reach and extend itself into that specific neighborhood. So they're going to do that with after-school programs. They're going to do that with uh, inviting people in and, uh, and helping resource them through teachers, at, you know, so some tutoring kinds of things. They've got dreams about... Um, 
connecting people. The location where they're going to be most likely will be right near a park, and so it'll just be another great opportunity for them to, to reach out and kind of extend themselves to the, to the city. They're, they're really going to be about kind of adopting blocks as well and trying to find ways to just integrate into the community. Ryan's got dreams for up north and, and connecting with people. The beauty is uh, for Ryan and Heidi, they're, they're, they've been living there for a long time. So it's like they're going back home in reality. The people that they spend um, most of their time with and, and interact with are all in those neighborhoods. And so they're finding ways already to reach out into the neighborhoods, finding ways to gather with people, creating kind of some initiatives or impulses into that section of the city. So hopefully that, in a again, a vague way kind of answers that. But both of them can go into details about what they're dreaming about. We are going to be in the near future, and we'll give you more details about this, having kind of informational times so that you can have like a meeting with David where he can go, hey, this is what we're doing. This is what God um, is kind of calling us to, and you can catch a glimpse of that. Same, same with Ryan, but we'll give you more details on that in the days ahead. Other questions? Okay, another question I'll answer for you, even though you're not asking it. Because I've had hundreds of people, well, not hundreds, lots of people ask me. Um, how are we going to replace, how are we going to replace both David and Ryan? Besides the fact that they're both irreplaceable, how will we replace them, right? Yeah, thank you, thank you. Um, that, that is a question that uh, we, are, we are in the midst of figuring out. I know that from June through September, the plan would be not to replace them um, because they'll continue to be salaried and be on staff, even though they're focused on the next church. We will continue to pay them. And so there is not uh, currently in the budget any resources available that would enable us to add another staff member in the midst of, of them kind of moving on. Um, then when September comes, um, September, October, November, we'll be in the process of figuring out, um, you know, what is it that we need and what is it that's going to be able to get us quickest to this place again where we can continue to see God plant more churches and reach more people in our city. All right? So that hopefully answers the question you're may, maybe not even asking. All right? One last call before I pray. All right, let's pray. Father, I get excited about how you have in the past worked at New Community and the ways in which you're continuing to work. And God, I even dream about ways that you will work in the future. We don't want, obviously, for this to be something that we do and then kind of stop doing, but it's something that we dream about because we believe it's really close to your heart to see more disciples made to advance the kingdom of God. And so, God, we want to be faithful to you, faithful to the calling you've given us, faithful to what you're asking of us. And, God, we know that church planting uh, impacts us personally, but we are convinced that it impacts the kingdom far more. God, may we be people who are constantly eager to extend your kingdom. May your name be known. May you be made glorious among the nations. God, I pray that as you begin to speak individually to people, 
you would place on their heart very clearly a calling if that's what you have for them. But God, I also ask that you would raise up people here at New Community to step into roles of leadership, to maybe even sense a calling to be part of the next church plant. Maybe someone even in our midst is dreaming dreams of being a part of what you're doing, not just here in Spokane, but maybe around the world. God, we want to continue to be faithful to you. God, also thank you for mothers. Thank you for my mom. Thank you for the impact that they have, not just on their children, but on other women and on the church community at large. God, we just want to honor them. We want it to be known that we're so grateful that they are in our midst and that we are a part of their lives and they are a part of ours. God, I pray that in a unique way you would just bless them today. And may they sense that love from you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.